Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Hubscale podcast, where we dive into the minds of leaders. Today, we have a brilliant guest, David McKeel, with over 20 years within cybersecurity, key leadership positions at CrowdStrike, McAfee, Digital Guardian, and he is now the Chief Sales Officer at Secure Code Warrior. David, great to have you on. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. No problem at all. Great stuff. And um, no, really, really excited for this one today and uh, excited to go through a lot of good topics that we've talked about as well in the past. But I guess just giving everyone a quick introduction to yourself. So great. Yeah. So uh, cybersecurity is actually my my fifth industry. <clears throat> and what I noticed in my first four was I got a little bored. Uh, so I looked into biotech and I looked into uh, IT and I really liked the cyber piece of it. Uh, when I hopped into cyber, my my thought was cybersecurity uh, or any type of internet security was going to be the eternal Y2K. And it's definitely proven that way. Um, and it just keeps growing and growing, right? The bad guys get smarter, and that means the good guys have to get smarter. And over time, we're starting to collaborate more on the good, on the good guy side, uh, which is going to make it harder for the bad guys, right? Yes. It's, it's tough in a commerce situation. And we all just need to kind of come together in that force uh, to, to make it happen. So um, <clears throat> my, my first, I started out the channel and then I went to, to uh, the manufacturer with McAfee. I spent eight years there. My last role at McAfee, I did mergers and acquisitions. I had a hunting team in the field, did operational integration on the back end. And that really taught me a lot about what to look for in startups in general, right? Because I got to interview all these CEOs of companies that we were looking to acquire, which was really cool. Uh, one of my favorite roles that I've had. <clears throat> and, and that actually helped me too from a global perspective because McAfee was already a global company. And I had to take on these organizations that were primarily in the US and scale them out globally. Um, which was a, a, a little safer inside of McAfee because they were already global. So I had kind of inroads there, which helped me when I went to Digital Guardian, right? And the one thing too, when you go from global to, sorry, when you go from local to global is you do have to really listen to see what the, what the differences are. And other than Japan, um, I say 80% of everything scales, right? So there's multiple verticals in the U.S., uh, 80% of everything that you do in enterprise scales to commercial and SMB and Fed and SLED and healthcare. And then when you go like to UK and Germany and all that, same thing, 80%. Um, and then same with Asia, like I said, except for uh, Japan is its own unique uh, individual there. So. Yeah, no, for sure. No, great stuff. Um, it, um... Yeah, no, obviously we've got a lot to uh, to dive through and, and multiple to- topics. And you've already mentioned a couple of things that we're going to go through in a, a little bit more detail. But tell me a little bit about Secure Code Warrior. So Secure Code Warrior, what we really focus on is upscaling the developer as well as workforce productivity. So, you know, a lot of organizations... When they talk to us, they, they originally look at us as training, which we do train, but our, the purpose of our training isn't like compliance training necessarily. We, we do offer compliance, but when you look at it from an upskill and workforce productivity perspective, we're getting the code more secure faster. So if you think of the shift left movement, we're, we're start left. So if you start left, by the time you're hitting technologies that help you with shift left, there's less to go through. So there's less QA, your code gets out quicker to market and your code is more secure. 
So there's less risk, faster production over time. And th that's really what we do. Awesome. No, it sounds um, it sounds a really cool company. And I was reading a I was reading a um, a article before from Peter, the CEO, around security matur maturity, and it's uh, yeah, really really interesting topic for sure. And so I guess in terms of your, you've only just been there a couple of months, haven't you? So it'd be great to yeah. great to really dive into why did you join Securco Warrior and what's your mission in in moving forward. So number one for me, I think a lot of us as we get along in our career. Culture matters most, right? So I back-channeled the organization a lot on culture. I back-channeled the board, I back-channeled the senior leadership team, and I back-channeled the company as a whole. Uh, for me, it's proven out. You know, when I talk to folks internal and they ask me why I came here at any level, and I say culture is number one, they all like jump on it with enthusiasm, right? So it's, it's really stuck there. Um, it's hard once you're in it because you're not really part of your own culture, right? You can't yeah. influence it. Uh, but to get that feedback unsolicited right away was, is a really uh, proof point to me that I made a right decision. Yeah. Uh, the other piece is willingness to change, right? We're at an inflection point in our growth where you have to change things and operate, operationalize things to become more efficient and more effective. And the, the organizations that I, that I talked to during my search really had to fit that. Because uh, if they're only going to do the same things and pretend to change, it, it doesn't work. And, it, and it's, it's a truly uphill battle. Uh, and that's been proven, too, in my first you know, 60 days here. Then when you look at it from a technology perspective, <clears throat> um, we are leaders in the space that we're in, uh, by far. Uh, we're developing all the time. I can't get into all of that, of course, right? Uh, you know, and, and maybe NDA between us, but not by everybody that's listening. <laughs> um, and we're, we're headed what I felt into a great direction. The other thing is it, it, got, it was a chance for me to leverage my security background um, by talking about something different that I feel impacted security in a, in a better way. Right? Not that you still don't need security tools and everything at the end, but if you can minimize it from the beginning of security holes and problems and all that in the code, I felt you know the world is going to be a better place for all of us, right? Yeah, no, for sure. It's, um, it's a really powerful mission as well. And one of the things we'll talk about as well today is the, the culture of an organization, which I'm really excited to get um to get into the detail with you um so yeah i guess i guess kicking kicking everything off then um so in terms of obviously the top three priorities is joining a new startup um i've i've actually had a lot of people reach out to me since starting the podcast about what is the real kind of main three points when you do when you start an organization a new organization as well so it'd be great to understand a little bit about that from your perspective with uh Sekirka warrior so number one is diving into the sales cycle Diving into the sales cycle is going to tell you a lot, right? Where things are slowed. So some companies you come in and especially in developing companies, the legal process gets a little kludgy, right? There's terms a lot of times in there that slow down the process that we give, that organizations give into 90% of the time. And you got to recognize that earlier. It's quick wins coming in as a new CSO or CRO uh, for the team, um, making sure that they have the right resources and region so they're not slowing down the sales cycle from that perspective. And then from there, you get to earn some trust with the team. Because trust is the number one thing 
because the most important ask of the team is in your first like 60 days. And your ask of the team is, I need you to give me like unfiltered feedback. And you need to trust me that I'm not going to, that this isn't going to be reciprocated in a negative way. And you need to take that feedback and prioritize it. Easy to do, big impact. Easy, easy to do, small impact. You might not do it. Hard to do, huge impact, right? Hard to do, small impact, you know, but you get back to the team and you let them know how you're prioritizing it. And, you know, it's funny because I used a slide uh, last week when I was talking to the North America team that you actually put on LinkedIn. <laughs> and the slide is, I'm looking to my left so I can read it. The slide is, I want to do this, right? And then it has one row and it says, do it, which is maybe 10% of folks. And the other 90% is, but I'm scared. I don't know this guy or girl. I don't, you know, all I know is what I've learned through other leaders in the past. And some of them, I, they earn my trust over time. That There's this person asking me to, to trust them just out of faith. And my, my message and my point, which was the point of your slide was, but I'm scared. Well, then just do it scared, right? Take a chance. So, you know, I talked through that with the team. And when I did this last week, we have breakout sessions instead of speaking to sessions. So a lot of times folks come in and go, this is my thing. This is how we're going to do it. I like to take the opposite approach and say certain things I am going to be stuck on, right? But to fix things, I need to know what happened here because all of my decisions, and I think this is where a lot of times it's missed, all of my decisions that I'm going to make are based on decisions that have already been made. So I have to know how those decisions impacted the business. So that way I make the proper decision. And I may get to the same place that I think I'm going to get to, but a lot of times it's a different path. And if I go back to the acquisitions at McAfee, with every single acquisition that came in, there was a different path to get to the same end result because of the decisions that have been made. You had to deal with different cultures. You had to deal with different CRM systems. You had to deal with different processes. And you had to flip it so everything became a machine, right? And that's really what the goal is. Yeah, no, for sure. I love it. Um, it's great that my uh, my LinkedIn posts are making somewhat of an impact. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was awesome. But good stuff. True, too. Yeah, it is. It's very true. Very true indeed. Um, but David, no, thank you for, for going into that detail. Really, really appreciate it. There's some really key points you can take out of that for sure. Um, so I guess I'm going to switch it back to a little bit. Um, so in terms of your career, and we discussed this um, a while ago, you actually have made very strategic decisions in to get to the place you are today. Um, I'd love to run through your kind of thoughts about wh- why you made certain decisions. I mean, taking the sled roll at CrowdStrike and obviously the acquisition role at McAfee. So it'd just be great to understand your thoughts through your career. So um, great question. And, you know, I get this a lot from folks that, that are looking, hey, how do I get to the next level? What do I do? And the number one piece of advice I give them is pick whatever your goal is, right? Everybody has a different goal. Like some people are BDRs and their goal, they want to be a field rep and they never want to get into management. And that's okay, right? Mm-hmm. Some people want to be head of sales. Some people want to be CEO. Uh, some people want to move from sales into customer success and run a customer success success org at some point. Um, but because of all those variables, 
what I say to folks is try to think of the highest role that you're going to want. And this can change over time because you might get to be an AE and go, you know what? I really would like to be a VP of sales. Yeah. That's okay, right? You can change it. But what I did is I picked something, which was really the roles that I've been in the past few times, like CRO, CSO roles. And I made every decision based on, does this help me get there? So if I take that acquisition role at McAfee, you know, I had been there six years when that came up and I took the role. And it's funny because I had peers at all different levels. I went in as the lowest possible field rep you could be. So I had a peer at every single level going up. And now I'm a VP of this global organization. And folks are calling me like, why did you pick this? You know, like, why would you want to take acquisitions? Acquisitions are like where things go to die. But really, part of me taking that acquisition role was a different model. And that was very key to my decision in taking it. And I checked with everybody. My, my original boss there, uh, manager was a guy named Mike Fay. And I, you know, I ran it by him. It has to be a hunting team. We have to be able to make decisions. We have to have everything in the group to incubate it. So that way we can pass it over to McAfee when the McAfee team is ready versus sit on the bench and the thing dies off, right? So there were key factors um, in that. Now, when you take that and you overlay it as a decision, people didn't get it, but I was like, this is giving me global exposure uh, in a safer environment at a big company. It's giving me exposure to startups, like all these things which were helping me for my career goal. So after that, what happened was uh, the first acquisition we did what went amazingly. Uh, it was a guy named Ken Levine was the CEO of this company called Nitro Security. And he and I formed a great relationship. I always, I always joke, revenue builds relationships, but he is a great guy. You know? And so we did due diligence with, e with each other uh, on six companies coming out of there. And we actually picked Digital Guardian together. Right? So those decisions actually greatly impacted my future. So he had confidence because he had seen me forecast at McAfee. He'd seen how I managed the team at McAfee. He had seen how I absorbed his whole team. And then we went on to this other piece. So I was a digital guardian, ran head of sales. They have five years of negative growth. And we forexed the business in about four years. Uh, then I moved on to CrowdStrike. Um, what's interesting about CrowdStrike, I was recruited in by one of the board members. I also knew like, the head of sales there for years. And I mean, half of the company was old McAfee folks anyways, right? <laughs> and they, um, they really needed someone to come in and grow SLED in order to, to fund the rest of public sector, right? So when I got there, uh, it was about 10 million in ARR, sorry, 10 million in ACV, about 11 or 12 million ARR. And when I left two and a half years later, uh, it was like 55 million in in ACB bookings and about 63 or 64 million in, uh, in um, ARR, right? So uh, rapid growing company, when I got there, you knew it was, it was going to go public. Like it, it, it was past the point of bought. Uh, the valuation was too big and you knew it was going to be a success. So for that one, I really went for, I did believe in the mission, but you knew it was going to be a wealth generating event. Yeah. Um, and for me to take two steps down was okay. I went out to the, to the uh, recruiting community before I took the role to people like you. And I said, Hey, you know, here's my background. Remember if I go and take this sled role, and I want to go back out and 
get back to being a CRO or a CSO, is that viable? And the answer came back, yes. Because again, when I went there, I had a few people that called me and were like, what are you doing? You've been a C-level for like for a couple of years, like a while, or at least a global VP for a while. And you're going into the sled role. So coming out of there, um, I really wanted to get back to uh, what I'm doing today. And ultimately, I enjoy the, um, the, the difference in my day, right? The decisions you make on a global scale are definitely more involved because you have to consider how it impacts the rest of the business. You know, you make a decision in EMEA and you have to think, okay, how does that affect the U.S.? Uh, vice versa, you know, especially when you look at the channel. Yeah. Right? And, I'm, you know, I'm a huge channel advocate. Came from the channel. Um, I think there's a lot of power there. And, uh, you know, that's, that's really where I focus. And then, you know, like I said, coming here, uh, the culture seemed great, which is proven so far, right? And I don't expect it to change. Um, and then uh, the solution that they provide and the vision that they have. Yeah. No, David, that's, that's amazing stuff. And I want to touch on a couple of points there because you mentioned a while ago when you was moving into the acquisition role, you were speaking to uh, individuals in your network and kind of verifying it yourself about moving into roles. And one of the key things in every single industry is mentors. And the, the whole kind of doing it on your own business, I think it's just gone out the window. It's about finding people and really, really driving and, and working towards a goal with these guys. So how important is it to find a mentor? And for people listening, how can you find a mentor if you're, you're kind of looking to, to take a next leap? So uh, another great question. So I'm going to go back to, um, I was at McAfee and I was asked to interview for this VP role. Okay. Four of us were asked to interview. Um, <clears throat> and we ended up hiring outside. Okay. So I went to everybody that interviewed me and I asked them, hey, what could I have said different? Because you, they, are, they knew what I did because I was at McAfee the whole time, right? So I said, what could I have said different that, that would have gotten me the role? And uh, again, this guy, Mike Fay, uh, actually sat me down and gave me some great advice. Uh, <clears throat> and he committed to work with me over the next six months on certain things that would enable the organization to go, oh, next time he's just the guy versus me having to interview and go through the process. Yeah. And there were little things I changed along the way. And it sounds weird, but, you know, and I'm not a fan of this in general, but the way he, he talked about doing it was really effective. And, you know, fortunately, unfortunately, we all have to do some type of self-promotion. Okay. And there's different ways to do self-promotion. There's a way to do self-promotion that you come up as like ego, egotistical and cocky, or you come out as a leader, right? And the way you come out as a leader is you go to other leaders and you say, Hey, I'm thinking about this as an action and you bounce it off of them. And they go, wow, it's not just he's stumbling on success. He actually has a strategic thought and he's, and now I can see that he's executing on it. Um, the other thing is, uh, you know, I re don't be shy to reach out. You know, I remember I reached out to uh, Joe Sexton when I was a junior director at McAfee. I only had two people and we were going to be on a, uh, on a president's club. And I texted him. I said, Hey Joe, I'm sure you're going to get pull pulled in like a million ways, but if I could just get 15 minutes with you, I'd really appreciate it. And he was like, sure. Right. 
So I met with Joe and I said, uh, he said, Hey, how's the management thing going? I said, it's going great. I said, you know, I don't know that you know about my full background or my goals. And I just wanted to shoot them by you. So that way you can give me some feedback and we can work towards it. And, you know, I get, we had that short discussion and I'll never forget. He says, you know, you already did the number one thing everybody forgets to do. And I said, what's that? And he said, you told somebody, right? And a lot of times people sit there and go, why aren't I getting looked at for this role? You know, I'm just as good as, you know, the guy next door or the girl next door, or I think I'm better, but I, I keep getting passed over. And sometimes they just never said that they wanted the role because some people just want to be, be the artist for their career. And I, I, I don't see that as a negative, just want to be. I mean, some people love it. Like I know a guy, he was a BDR, loved it so much. He opened up a BDR company and he kills it. Why not? Right. Everybody has their own, their own vision and, and what they're good at and what they enjoy. I mean, that's number one, right? What you, what you enjoy. Yeah. And I enjoy what I do. The, the number one thing for me is I get to learn from my whole team every day. Right. So I get better quicker. You cross pollinate that across the team and we all get better. So I know that goes a little off the uh, topic, but that's that's uh, another part of it. No, I know. I think it's great, and I think I think even one thing I've noticed in my my short career in, in comparison to to yours, um, asking for things is. I think there was a there was a kind of a red tape on it before, but I think even just reaching out to people who've been in your situation or, or maybe even a couple of steps ahead of you is literally critical to get to the next step because you number one learn from them and number two you look great in their eyes like you want to learn as well, which is which is always good for right. moving forward. Um, you know, to to that end too, one of the things is uh, don't just have one mentor, right? Because I have like four or five folks that, that I can reach out to for different reasons, right? Either different career type decisions that I have to make that they're better at explaining or their availability, right? Sometimes, you know, one of them's traveling the globe for the next month and they're crazy and, you know, you need some help. You gotta, you need a backup. Um, and by backup, I don't mean literally backup. It's they're, they're they all offer, uh, a little just bit of different advice in a positive way right and then, you, and then you make it your own yeah no i love it i really do and it's um it's really a key topic especially for a lot of people moving into moving into next roles or any any type of career advice which is which is great i guess um i guess switching it a little bit now um so obviously i'm in recruitment so i love this topic completely um i could talk about it all day but um i guess just kind of really focusing on hiring and retaining talent um so everybody i speak to there's there's multiple different things that we can go down but what i really want to talk through you with david is what do you look for in a successful hire and the kind of the key attributes so um when i moved from a junior director to a director at mcafee um, i got a team and i had eight head count i had seven open heads okay which is a lot when you when you only have eight head count <laughs> so I actually interviewed 77 people in three months and I learned from those, from those interviews, the intangibles that I, that I want. Now, as a recruiter, you interview people like that's probably not even a big member for someone like you. Like you could interview a hundred people in a month potentially. 
right? You're just talking about time. You learn certain things that bleed through that someone that might interview at the, at the company um, doesn't get the same because they're interviewing in bits and bytes over time. And really what that, what that led me to, to do is there's four intangibles I look for. One is, are they motivated? Two is, are they creative? Three is, are they smart? And then fourth, depending upon the role, um, the sector, like all those types of things, different levels of strategic thinking, right? If you're motivated, I can motivate you because everybody's motivated differently. If you're creative, I can foster creativity or I can pull it back. I prefer to pull it back and you can't teach smart, but you can teach someone who is right. And by smart, I don't, I don't just mean book smart, you know, it's, 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 it's EQ and IQ, especially for what we do. And then, like I said, different types of strategic thinking. Um, if you're hiring for a BDR role or you're hiring for an AE role or you're hiring for an, for an enterprise uh, financials role or you're hiring for a Fed role, right? Like all those are different levels of strategic thinking and it goes into that. And then next, I go into where have you been successful? Um, and I have them tell a story. My thing too is salespeople and marketing people should all be able to tell a story. So I asked them to tell the story of themselves in their career. And I asked them to go through it and talk about, you know, why you chose the company, what your successes were there, why you chose to leave, why you chose the next company and so on and so forth. And it really opens up different things in the conversation, which helped me figure out those four intangibles. Then we talk about retaining talent. Um, Part of retaining talent is one, they have to know, you have their back, but they also have to know that you have their back when you should have their back. And when they shouldn't, it's going to be a discuss discussion. And, you know, I come from the perspective of um, there's no hierarchy until there needs to be hierarchy. So, you know, forecast call hierarchy, You're not doing your job hierarchy uh, approvals, internal hierarchy, uh, customers, right? Titles matter. Leverage all the titles in the organization, hierarchy. But, you know, from an execution perspective, I don't consider it hierarchy because I'm just going to do what I need to do to get done. You want me to make a call? You want me to send an email? You know, all that, you know, I, I started as a BDR. I've, I've done it, you know, and I'm, I'm sitting here. So, um, you know, whatever needs to get done on a day-to-day basis. And I, I think, that bears the uh, perspective of there's two types of leaders. If you go black and white, there's the leaders you want to run through a wall because of them. And there's the leaders you want to run through a wall for, and you always want to be the second. Yeah. No, I love it. I really do. And um, I've been blessed with uh, some good leaders in the past as well. And I think having, um, having a mixture of the hierarchy and then, and then not as well is, is pretty critical to an organization. So no, I love it a lot. I guess, the next topic, then, I think this is always interesting that you've done global roles. And I like to always ask this question because everybody kind of says a little bit different things as well. So hiring in different cultures. Um, you've already mentioned Japan there, which is obviously completely different to a lot of the world. Um, and I, I've done a lot of work there myself, so I, I understand it. But I guess from your perspective, hiring in multiple different cultures, how do you go around um, hiring the best people? You have to ask a lot of questions. Okay. And those questions lead you to 
what does talent look like inside a certain region? And I'll take the States just to start with, you know, a lot of times I go global and they go, Oh, it's different than the States. And I go, Oh, uh, have you sold in the States? Well, no. I go, well, are you talking about like enterprise in the States or commercial in the States or fed and sled, or maybe just healthcare or just higher ed? You know, when you say it's different, what's different. Right. And the thing is, even in the States, a fed rep is different culturally because of the way they need to function with the fed than a sled rep, although they're, they're more similar than the commercial side. Right. And then you take that and you go on a global scale and a UK rep needs to function different than a German rep. Just from the clear thing of there's different laws and how you can approach the customer in, the, in those cases. You know, the other thing is I try to learn in comparisons. Like if I look at, if I look at uh, EMEA versus the US, France is very much like Texas, right? You go to a two hour lunch, you hang out, you figure if you're going to be good with each other, and then you do business, right? Germany's similar, like New York, New, New, New York, and New Jersey. You know, you got 30 seconds on the phone, and if they if they don't like what you're saying, I mean, they're basically like, I got to go, right? UK is a little more like Boston. Now they aren't exactly like it, but you you have to learn that all these places and countries have different laws um, and different aspects to them. And then you have to hire a leader that you know understands it better than you. I'm never going to understand Mia better than my Mia leader, right? And I'll never understand, even though I grew up in U.S. Fed and I and I sold flat state and local. The further you are away, things change, right? My leaders have to know it better than I'll ever know it. Just like the AE has to know the account better than anybody, right? They're in it every day. So you have to have that trust in them. And then you ask questions, you understand it, you support, you support it, and you have a better chance of hiring the right people collectively. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's really, really key there about the the leader understanding that the person needs to know it better than them. Um, I've seen a lot of times and throughout my career that sometimes they, uh, the micromanagers and things like that of the world really dive into everything and want to be on top of everybody. But I feel like just what you were talking about there is sometimes just, well, mo- all the time, hire somebody absolutely amazing, completely better than you at the role and then let them yeah. do that. Um, and that's, that should be the way things, uh, things work, which is, which is awesome. Makes it more fun for everybody too. Right? <laughs> it does indeed. It does indeed. Um, so just switching it up a little bit now as well, uh, going on to uh, going on to one more topic. So in terms of obviously when you're working um, and you're trying to really drive from uh, a junior maybe person into a into a leadership role, uh, one thing that we've discussed a lot, David, is being coachable. How can people be coachable? And explain what that kind of means to everyone. Everyone listening. I coach my son's football team, U.S. football. Okay. And is that, some is days, that soccer or football? U.S. football. U.S. football is, <laughs> right? Yeah. So although I did play soccer till the eighth grade, so I'm unique. No. Uh, I played soccer. And then I played in U.S. football uh, when I went to high school. But um, So I coached my son's football team, and I coached the offensive and defensive line, okay? Uh, my son is an offensive and defensive employ- uh, uh, player. In some days, my son's not coachable because I'm his dad, okay? 
which is really good because I can use him, him as an example, right? The other kids who are not their dad be, because of their age and their sponges and they know they need to learn, just dive in. But I say something to my son and he thinks he needs to explain it or, or, or go out before listening to actually what I saw right now. Sometimes I don't see uh, what actually happened, which you also have to know that too. So, it, but if, at least if I can explain what I saw, I also give him a chance to explain something different if it was different. But he has to be open. It's like you have to go with your glass empty so you can absorb what's being talked to. And then as it fills up, you can have a conversation about it. Because I'm not going to be right 100% of the time either as a leader. Um, and you might be doing certain things that I just don't know. So I'll give an example. There was a guy at CrowdStrike, and he, uh, he crushed his number in 2019. And going into 2020, he talked about wanting to get into management. And I said, well, you need to fix a bunch of things. If you keep, number one, if you keep doing what you're doing, even though it worked in 2019, it wasn't going to work in 2020 because you needed to evolve because your business has grown so much. Right. So we talked about that. And I said, the other thing is nobody knows what you're doing, right? You just give results, which was the advice that was given to me earlier on. And we talked about it and he started to leverage the, the conversations and he grew and grew and grew. And by the end of that year, not only did I think he was the right person, but his peers who he would now become the boss of, right? The manager of, and his future peers were like, he's the right person. Now, the thing there too is the hardest promotion you'll ever get is from field rep to managing field reps, okay? After that, it gets easier because your, uh, your peers already went through it, right, on the other end. So they have a little empathy for it. They understand most of them understand that, okay, you're the one who got the VP job over us. We're good. We're all moving forward. Whereas as an AE, everything you said before that, they're remembering, you know, like I'll, I'll, I'll give an example. When I was uh, at one of my past companies, I won't say which one, someone got promoted above us. Right. And two weeks earlier, they said, we can't sell this solution in our space. And they went on and on. They get promoted, and the first thing they say is, we've got to sell a solution, <laughs> right? So there's a couple of things there. One, you want to be careful. what you're, If your goal is to move above, you really have to be careful what you're talking to and about before you get that promotion. Two, your teammates have to know that you're a leader among them, right? Whether they say it out loud or not, they have to know that if you went in that spot, they, they would take your advice, and in, in three, you have to cultivate your own opportunity by learning and, and being coachable. It, like I said in that round. Yeah, no, no, that's um, that's amazing. I, I see. I, I love what you talked about there about the the hardest role from a field rep to step up because I've seen it so many times and. 
people when even when I've had uh, calls with individuals and said, "Oh, I should have been promoted rather than X guy or girl," and it's um, it can create a toxic environment if you haven't done exactly what you've done there in stature yourself as a leader um, as well. So, no, it's really great advice, David. Really great advice. I wanted to just run into this question quickly about how do you drive a high performance within a sales organization? So. Number one, I'll go back to what we talked about at the beginning, especially coming into any new, any new organization, right? You have to figure out what the cycle looks like, right? Because then you can hone, on, hone in on, it. you know, stage one, stage two, we're having a trouble or two to three or three to four, four to five, you know? And then as you focus on that, you can shorten the cycle. That cycle creates operational efficiencies, okay? The other thing is you want to take time as much administrative time, there's a lot of tools today that can take administrative time off the weight off of your AE, also off of yourself. So you get to focus on what you need to do more, which is actually selling, right? And getting in front of customers and promoting what you do to help them. The other thing is, you know, we talk about solution selling and, you know, all that type of stuff. And a lot of times, it's hard to conceptualize what solution selling really is. A lot of us think, hey, I sold it, they bought it, it's a solution, but we still talk about speeds, feeds, bits, bytes. Really, I like to talk about deliverable selling because if you talk about the end state of what it's gonna get them, workforce productivity, upskilling, things like that, right? You're gonna be able to go to your kid's football game in the UK, not in the States, right? (laughs) <laughs> You're going to be able to do like those types of things. So, you know, all those things come together to form a more efficient selling process. The other thing is, and I learned this really, um, again, I'll go back to Joe Sexton. Uh, he did these skip level meetings and it was um, non-repudiate. Like you could say whatever you wanted in these skip level meetings. And sometimes there were decisions that he made that folks would bring up and go, Joe, this takes us like three hours to do. And he was like, oh, well, how do we get it down so it takes 15 minutes, right? And he would fix it. And he never took it personally. And he, things just became more, more efficient over time. And it freed us up, right? Even, even in a world where there were much less tools. So I, I like to take that structure that he put forward in, in meeting with the, the ground troops because they see everything and they're the ones that feel everything. Everything sounds great when I roll it out, right? But when you absorb it in, in, as an AE and you're going, wait, now this is taking 10% of my week. Like that's a big deal. Or if we did um, this one thing, I feel like we could get more output over here, whatever that is, right? So feedback is, is huge too and not using it against folks, but actually using it for folks. Yeah. And I want to say one thing, David, I think one, one key thing about your career, and it sounds everything we've gone through today is that the, the feedback and advice that you've got throughout your career, you've actually implemented that as you've gone along as well. And I think actually there's listening, but then there's the acting on what you hear as well. So I think that's so key. And you can just tell the way you're speaking about from X to Y, and it's, uh, it's amazing, David. So no, a really, really, it's a good lesson. Awesome. It's fun too. It makes it fun. You yeah. know? Like, like when you, when sales folks and, and the company in general, right? Cause revenue solves all wounds. 
you know, no matter where you are, whether you're in product or engineering or sales or marketing. And the thing is, it affects the culture. I've never been in a, a company that's rapidly growing that's down emotionally, yeah. right? Um, so, you know, it's good all across the board. Awesome. So I have one more question. So the question is, um, what advice would you give you to yourself when you were starting back as an aide? Um, work more towards becoming the leader among your peers quicker. Not that you shouldn't be a leader among your peers, even if your goal, like, and I know a lot of field reps, they just want to be field reps and they're awesome at it. Uh, but even those folks, you still want to be a leader among your peers as much as you can. Um, and you want to be, you want to become a, a go-to person for at least some things, right? Uh, there could be a team full of leaders, but each one of them leads different pieces of it. And I probably would have told myself to work on that earlier. Um, just makes life easier, yeah. right? For, for you and everybody else. For sure. For sure, Noble. Great answer. And David, it's honestly been an absolute pleasure having you on today and, and gone for a lot of uh, really, really interesting things, which I'm sure will be very impactful for, for a lot of the listeners as well. So I really appreciate you coming on, David, and, and hopefully we can do one in the future as well. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was great. I always enjoy talking to you, Elliot. So, uh, <laughs> awesome. appreciate it.